Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a film, filmmaker's first time journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. Hi, Christian. How are you? Good. How are you? You're stumbling Very, this morning. A little bit. And with us is our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, button-pushing guy, taking notes and timing us, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey, Jason. Good to see you. Good to see you. The Girl Who Wore Freedom executive producer, David Patterson, all the way from New York. Welcome, David. Howdy, howdy. So, Christian. Yeah. First-time filmmaker. Yes. Let's have it. What's new and exciting in the world of post-film being made? Yeah, so I will say we had initially planned to have, you know, two weeks worth of discussions on distribution and agreements and stuff like that. Uh, and then two minutes before we got on to record this podcast, everything was upset when we received some exciting news. And so we're going to talk about that exciting news during this podcast and we'll uh, talk about distribution next. Next. Okay. So what, what is the exciting news? Is the film finally finished? Is that the exciting news? <laughs> yes, it's been finished now for a couple of weeks. There has been no changes. <laughs> Maybe even longer. I still need to pay people. That's a problem. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that needs to happen at some point, but uh, it, it is finished and we, you know, we've continued to enter into film festivals, even though the film festival landscape is murkier than ever. It continues to be completely anybody's guess as COVID uh, gets extended in the United States and really all over the world. So, um, you know, I think there was at least I sensed in the film festival world, uh, maybe when we get later in the summer, we'll be able to have film festivals. Maybe we'll do them outside. Maybe we'll do them in a drive-in. Maybe by the fall, we'll be able to go over to Europe and do them. And I'm sensing that just this collective feeling that, that that's probably not going to happen. I don't even think Europe, like I was thinking in my mind, oh, we'll get into the DeVille American Film Festival in Normandy in September. And I imagined going over there because they still say they're going to have it. And now I'm like, oh, we're almost halfway, through, midway through July. I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. Obviously, uh, you don't know the answer to this question, but maybe David can answer this or speculate, I should say. I mean, in light of COVID and things changing, um, wouldn't you think it would make sense to kind of uh, bend the rules a little bit when it comes to film festivals and allow people to submit next year, assuming there's actual festivals? You know what I'm saying? You know, that actually makes perfect sense, which is why a lot of festivals aren't doing it. Um, it's rather <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> no, it is rather frustrating. We, uh, some of the first festivals, they just said, we're off, peace out. They didn't let us know whether we're getting our money back. They did not know if they were just postponing all the, the films till the following year. Uh, some have said, we are postponing. We'll get back to you when we decide to do it. I think they're trying to wait out um, the COVID as well. Uh, but for filmmakers, it, it really puts you in a roller coaster because you had sort of planned. You plan for rejections. You always have to plan for rejections. But you also plan for some acceptances by a certain date. 
And I, I, I'm not holding back anything to say that there were a couple festivals that we did not get into, and and uh, they shall remain nameless till the end of time. Uh, but actually, that number is very, very small. The majority of them are, we're not sure what we're doing when, we're not sure what we're going to be doing with your film. And that is very, very uh, frustrating to say the least, especially when you've planned a, fest a festival run to premiere at a certain festival and one of size and reputation. Now, if all those cancel, and many of them are in September, when you get into Wamdigger Hopslog Film Festival in uh, Beaufort, Montana, and that's going to be your premiere, you don't want that to be your premiere. I mean, you have a valuable film that you want to open at a great festival. And to be able for this, these teeny festivals to say, we're going to show your film, and we're going to probably show it in everyone's living room or invite everyone in town to our living room because it's not a big town or festival. Um, you know, you do not want to ruin your premiere status. And one of the options that we have and we've discussed is being accepted to a festival. So technically you can hold on to the um, laurels from getting in, but then withdrawing your film. Because the simple fact is you were accepted, yet you can't premiere at that festival. Now, does that happen very often where someone gets accepted and for strategic reasons they pull? All the time. The big, the big guys do it. Smaller films generally don't need to or want to. But it's become an unnecessary strategy in today's world. Well, and, you know, interestingly enough, because this is happening, some film festivals are either set, even saying, if you're accepted, you know, like, okay, you're submitting. But if you're accepted, you cannot withdraw. Like some of them have actually said that, you know, before you submit, you kind of have to agree to that. Um, wait, wait, wait. But you, have you sent them the film at that point? Uh, yeah. Oh, so they, they, they have to have it in-house. No, no, no. We've sent a screener link to everybody that we submit to. So when you submit, you only sent a screener link and they can look at it online. If I you, guess here's my question. If they say, uh, sorry, you can't pull out, but then you're like, well, we're going to do it anyway, what are the repercussions? Well, you'll probably never be in that festival again. Okay. But, it, but if it's the Wappingers Fall Film Festival um, in Beaumont, right. <laughs> you may not be so upset about that. But, you know, even studios pull their films from Venice. They pull their films from Cannes all the time. And do they go back to Venice or Cannes? Yeah, because they're the big dogs. Um, it's, just, it's a forced strategy that no one wants to do. I mean, she can, uh, Christian can attest, she would suggest, what about this festival? And I would say 2021. You know, the, our film will still be fresh enough to submit to then. But, you know, we don't want, we don't want to go out with all these teeny, teeny festivals. And in the case that we keep getting pushed by other fests, um, you don't want to have to keep saying no to other festivals. So it's much easier just to wait to the following year. I think we'll all know where we are in a better place next year. I'm beginning to doubt that. And here's why. So, so w what we did is we looked at all of the big festivals where we wanted our premiere to be. And there is this festival life of a film and a strategy as we've talked about in previous podcasts. And so 
you do need to launch your film. Like, it, we can't really just stick it on the shelf and say, okay, in 2021, we'll start this all over again. Um, because there is sort of an expiration date. They ask you, when was your film finished? Well, our film was finished on June 6, 2020. And we had to state that like on IMDb and on our website and all of those things. So everybody knows when it was finished. So when you go to apply, they will say, if your film was, you know, not finished or if your film was finished before X date, you're not eligible for this film festival. So that starts the clock ticking on how much your film, you know, how long your film can do this festival run. That's number one. Number two is in that festival run, the, 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 it, there is like a year window. So all throughout the year, film festivals from all over the world schedule their film festivals in the one calendar year. And somebody said to me, I said something about how there were 7,000 film festivals listed on, on Film Freeway. Well, that's just on Film Freeway. There is Fest Home. There is Fest Life. And some of them overlap, but some of them completely do not because those are in Europe. So, I mean, there is thousands and thousands of festivals all over the world that people can apply to. And all of them happen in a one-year period of time. And so you have to look at that landscape and say, where do we want to premiere and when? And so for us, we knew that we were going to finish the film in June. So we started our submissions like February of this year, knowing that in hopes that we would get, and most of the festivals, correct me if I'm wrong, David, they start in the summer, like June, July, but the big festival time is August, well, yeah, September, October, and early November. And yeah, so- A huge patch is because the weather is still nice and people have to walk from venue to venue. So September to November is where you have a huge onslaught of a lot of festivals in the United States. But they do spread out through the whole year. And if I may interrupt Christian, because I am, uh, this is the one part where we, we sort of disagree because there is something called an indie funk on a film. When you say my film has an indie funk, that means from when it was completed, if no one's picked it up within a year or two and you haven't done a festival run, nobody's gonna touch that film, or at least no one's gonna give you any money for it. What, but what makes it different is the festival circuit. And so one thing you should never do is have a completion date on your film when you haven't started the festival run. Because technically you're saying, you know, you're testing the audiences with your festival run. And that's when you're still shopping it with distributors and salespeople and stuff like that. If a salesperson says you finished this film a year ago, why haven't you done anything? Well, now you can use COVID as your excuse, but you really can't use any delay of date as an excuse. That's why you'll see films right now uh, at the big festivals, like a studio film, if you go on to what's called IMDb Pro, it still says post-production. <laughs> and they keep that post-production thing going literally till the day it's released. It's, it buys you time. That's pretty much what you're buying. You're buying time to keep away that indie funk. And there's also films that have studio funk to them too. And those are the ones that, are, that you see with like movie stars, but it's like in theaters now, 
but you didn't see anyone announcing it being it's Al Pacino did a movie in China where he plays, you know, a grocery clerk um, with his legs fell off from herpes. You know, uh, no one really wants to see that movie, but it's in his contract to be released in a theater. So they have it open at an independent theater in Boise, Idaho, and then they put it directly on, on the straight to DVD, but they can say still in the movies. Um, so a long way around, uh, the indie funk is something that all filmmakers, independent filmmakers want to steer clear of. And so one of the big things is to always say your film isn't completed until you basically sell it. And that way, you know, you know, that is your starting point, but you still have the festival run. And so basically from your first festival, because people looking at your movie don't know when you started to submit, and you certainly don't tell people which festivals you were rejected at. So even though we've been rejected from some films, uh, festivals that started in July, our festival run doesn't begin to our first festival. Right. And so say every festival is canceled through December. Our festival run begins in January of next year. So except, except so, so there are some caveats here. And one of them is that um, because of COVID, you know, you start out, David and I started in the beginning of January trying to game this. Okay, what, where do we want to premiere? Where do we think this film will fit? Blah, blah, blah. When COVID happened, um, and, we, you know, we thought the Traverse City Film Festival was going to be our coming out party. We felt like we had a good chance of getting in there. That was in July. That was canceled. We still don't even know if we're going to be considered for next year. Or get our uh, money back. Or Yeah, or get our money back. I'm Scottish, so that's important to me. Well, I hate to tell you this, but they gave us a waiver so that we would submit, so I don't think we're getting our money back. Oh, that's right. We don't gain money back. Yeah. All right, so. So, um, so in this situation, though, I we could have decided to like shelve things and not come out, but we decided we were going to do that anyway. So we And we have, as we talked about before, gotten accepted to one film festival that shall not be named, um, until it is announced, but that is in October. So we know for a fact, and that's a good documentary film festival. It's been around 11 years. It's got a great reputation. It's going to be good for our film. Uh, but it wasn't, I would say it's a second tier film festival, not a first one like TIFF or like Sundance or something like that. So the question is, we do have some of those bigger film festivals before October. DeVille American Film Festival, for example, would be a great coming out place for us, and we should know about that soon. Um, but the exciting news today that's kind of just really made everything crazy is that I received an email that we were given our first award. And I was like, how can we win an award? I didn't even know that we were in a film festival. So I've done a little bit of research about this, and we were an official selection in a film festival, and we won the best documentary award. Woohoo! <laughs> so that's super exciting, um, and it did make me very happy. Particularly because there were some lesser awards, like uh, the best of the you know central area was uh, documentary was an award, but we won the one up from that, which is uh, for the fest sort of all over. Um, what was so confusing to me is we were not supposed to hear back from this film festival until July 25th. And the film festival wasn't until September 10th. So 
I was like, what is happening? And then I go and I check their website and they've redesigned completely how their festival goes. And, and everything is different than what we expected. So David and I are sitting here going, what do we do with this? You know, I, this really messes with everything we've talked about. So what do we do, David? The, well, the rules keep changing. Um, and again, this is a smaller festival, so they've decided to just change their rules. And as opposed to accepting, accepting films for one festival, they've now broken up into four quadrants, so four different seasons. Um, and as far as I can see, and I've already complained about this uh, off camera, but I might as well start again. <laughs> it just seems to be kind of a money drive because now, basically, as opposed to all films submitting for a year, you now can have four times as many films submit. And pretty much they've already said that they're not going to be a live festival because of COVID. So what do you really have to put out other than, you know, a, a, a link to see movies as opposed to, you know, hiring staff, getting the theaters ready, you know, uh, promotion, everything like that. Um, there's something highly questionable about that. And I'm, I'm troubled that festivals can say, Hey, you know, we lose money every year, but we don't have to during a pandemic, uh, because we can just take as many applications as possible and then charge people for it. And then just have Norm go down to his basement and open up his computer and show it to millions of people from his computer. You know, it's, uh, can they do that? Absolutely. Is it, is it cool? No, not cool. Is it fair? I don't think so. Um, well, and it really messes with things because if they're not going to have a live event, there are plenty of other festivals, bigger festivals that say, if you have screened online before our festival, you're disqualified. Yep, exactly. So, so what do we do? Even, uh, on, a, even on a closed link, uh, to somebody, so you say it's a closed link. People are still paying for it. They still qualify it as it has access, and there's no guarantee that that access can't be abridged or shared with others. So it's really no. If you're online, you can be um, disqualified from our festival, and it is once again the wild west out there. Some festivals are going completely online. Some are doing hybrids. But again, some of the mid-range to the top festivals, uh, the hybrids are the independent filmmakers who don't have a movie star in their film. Or even a documentarian who does not have, you know, a huge budget and huge backing. So that when they say hybrid, basically, uh, I call it star effing films, you know, where they have stars or attachments, you know, and when it comes down to documentaries, of course, they're going to show Ken Burns' latest documentary to a live audience. But Christian Taylor's might be actually put to the side online. And so I don't think there's a fair uh, democratic element to hybrid um, film festivals. Yeah, so there you have it. Good news, <laughs> bad news. And uh, I'm not quite sure what to do with all that. Although I would say first-time filmmakers really do need to to understand the whole film festival thing and having somebody on your team who's been through it with many films before is super um, helpful. I would be lost if it wasn't for David. So I think my big takeaway from, you know, that I hope people will take from this podcast is 
really do think about uh, bringing someone on board who understands the festival world and hope there isn't a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) As if making a movie isn't hard enough. Oh, right. Right? Oh, you just got to make it 10 times harder to get people to see it. But, uh, well, I think we're about out of time, so we should wrap up here. Next one, we're going to talk about distribution, correct? Yeah, we have some more exciting news in that department, and um, we will talk a little bit about that next time. Okay. Well, hey, everyone, thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.